Thank you, Ben. You can just put me back in the pulpit. Thank you. There isn't an occasion, um, I don't know of one, uh, in, in recent years where I um, uh, don't see uh, Jean Brooks, that I don't thank her for making a very, very difficult December day in 1980, quite bearable. Uh, it was the day of my brother's funeral in this very place, and Jean was on the organ that day, and I have never, I have never heard of what I heard that day in such a splendid way. And so on behalf of my family, in a very public way, I want you to know how much I always have appreciated you using your gifts and talents, that you're using them today um, for the glory of God. It wasn't about you that day. I know it wasn't. You know it wasn't. It was just a, a ministry to so many that day, including me. So thank you very much. I told you that I grew up in this church, and um, I, 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 Donna and I actually were married here, and um, I came uh, to this church we moved to Dunwoody about 1967, 1968, and we stayed until 1978, when after we were married, we took a job in North Carolina, and we've been back, I guess, three years now full-time in, in this place. I think it's fair to say that anybody who knew me growing up, and some of you are in the room today, uh, the word precocious comes to mind. Um, I, I said to Kay before service, Bill would look at me and go, uh, his word would not be precocious. Bill's word probably would be troubled to reflect on my growing up years here. Kay, on the other hand, I think doesn't remember that I caused any problems in this place, and I'm very grateful for that memory loss. <laughs> I was one of those children uh, that in fourth grade, uh, my mother was given a parking space in the teacher parking lot because she was there so very often. Mitch could not not talk. Today I get paid to talk. It worked out pretty well. I'm told that um, on a particular Sunday after I got my driver's license leaving here, heading back to Dunwoody, crossing the bridge over Georgia 400, which is a double line bridge, that I apparently, I don't remember this for fact, but I apparently passed a sainted church lady using the double line. I just went right by her, and that, that was on my bio in this church for quite some time. Harry would tell you, uh, having known me in my first iteration of college after high school, that I did not take full advantage of the educational offerings at the University of Georgia. I found other distractions. Unfortunately, I went back to college later in life, and it was a glorious event at Tacoa Falls. But I was a bit distracted. I was precocious. And I knew that I had crossed the line when my mother would call my name. Now there were times she called my name and it would be Mitch and that would be pleasant and kind and sweet. She might even use Mitchell. That was not a problem for me. But when my mother used my full given name of Albert Mitchell Hagens Jr. and in an octave that I'd never heard in my life before, I knew there was a problem. There was a real problem. It didn't happen often, but it did happen. Partly because I was a bit precocious and partly because she wanted to get my attention. She needed my attention. 
And sometimes God will call us by name. Our whole church is in a Bible study Sunday mornings um, from Kids Zone all the way through our adult classes studying the book of Acts. And if we've learned anything in the book of Acts, it is that God is very present. God is very real and God is very personal. And he will call you and me by our name. There's no doubt about it. So I'd like for us to take a look this morning at when God calls you and me by name. And some of the implications of that in the time that we have together this morning. But before we do anything more, let's pray for our time together. God, you have called us to this place and we did not know, none of us knew who we'd be seated near or who would be around us today, but you knew. And for those of us who are believers, you names are very important to you. Our name is in the Lamb's Book of Life and that book was hard fought and hard purchased with the blood of our Savior Jesus. So names are very important, and you knew the name of every person who'd be here, and you know what we will face today and tomorrow and in the coming days. And what we'd ask for now is your presence. Not because we've earned it or deserve it or we have some special power, but because of the blood of Christ. We can call on your name so that we're ready when you call our name. Give us wisdom in this time, Jesus, is my prayer. Amen. Uh, so I'd like to uh, suggest there are several things that we need to think about uh, when we uh, think about God calling us by name. Not unlike my mother calling me by name. And the first one is I, I'd like us to think about sometimes circumstances, life's circumstances, put us in proximity for God to call us by name. Now I'm going to ask you to do something that we've not done in this church in quite some period of time. We try very hard in this fellowship to make worship convenient for you, uh, for me. Uh, we have everything on screen. And most of the time, most Sundays, you don't have to pick up that dark colored book that is in the pew in front of you. It's called the Bible. And most of the time we don't do that. We make it convenient and the screens are there. But today I'm going to ask you, there's a dark bound book in front of you in the pew. It's called the Bible. And I'd like us to use those today. Because when we're having a relationship and someone will call our name, we need to know who will call. And that book is the source of knowledge of who will call your name mine. So I'd like you to turn to Exodus chapter 3, the first verse of Exodus chapter 3 for those who are unfamiliar with the Bible. And that's okay. We're, we're happy to help you. It's the second book. Genesis is first and then there's Exodus. And we're looking at Exodus chapter 3, and we're looking at the, um, a story about a servant. His name is Moses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, or the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from a bush. Moses saw that through the bush... Was on, that though the bush was on fire, it was not consumed. It did not burn up. So Moses thought, hmm, I'll go over and see that strange sight. Why the bush burns, but is not consumed. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Sometimes life puts us in proximity 
for God to call us by name. And it doesn't have to be something so dramatic as a bush, but I want you to get this picture of a bush that is burning but not consumed. We're, we're familiar with fire, we're familiar with flame, and we're familiar with ashes. And ashes come as a result of something being consumed by fire. Whether that's a bush, a home, a tree, it doesn't matter. We're familiar with fire and ashes, and there were no ashes. And Moses looked at that and he goes, this is very unusual. And so for you and me, what would be unusual? For you and me, it might be a diagnosis. For you and me, it might be a change of job or change of career. For you or me, you or me, it might be something that is circumstance that draws us into a situation where God can speak your name and my name to get our attention. And God's word says, so Moses thought, I'll go see this strange thing. And when the Lord saw that he had gone, so there's an action and a reaction. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. God spoke the name of Moses because circumstances had drawn him in. Circumstances that God ordained absolutely in your life and my life gives God the opportunity to call us by name. Sometimes, sometimes that has to do with putting ourselves where God can speak to us. Uh, sometimes it's not the circumstance, it's not a burning bush, it's not a diagnosis, it's not an issue. It, it's not an opportunity. It is our deliberate intent. Not unlike your deliberate intent to be here today. I, 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 I'm so, every time I see Tom and, and Connie, uh, they bring such a smile and they're, they're visiting the Angevines and they're here and, and they had options. They could be someplace else today. You could be someplace else today. But you chose to put yourself in proximity in situations where God can call your name. And it's not unlike Luke 19. So in the New Testament, near the back of the Bible that you now have in your hand, is Luke 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third of the Gospels, chapter 19 and verse 1. Where someone deliberately put themselves in a situation where God could call them by name. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And in our studies of the New Testament, in our Bible study, in our Sunday school classes, we, 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 we did a study in Matthew, uh, the last quarter. And what we learned in the study of Matthew is that Jesus did not linger. Jesus did not stay long in villages and towns. He maneuvered through. He went through. Yes, he would stay and he would teach in synagogue. God's word is really clear. But, in, but for Jesus to stay weeks on end, no. Days on end, no. So here we have an example of Jesus in ministry. He's entered Jericho and passing through, meaning he's not going to stay long. And there was a, a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And you know from Pastor David's teaching from this pulpit that a tax collector was not a revered individual in the culture of the day. A tax collector had sold himself as a Jew to the Roman government. A tax collector had to pull in certain resources for the Roman government, and anything beyond that was his to keep. And this was a wealthy man, meaning he was taxing well beyond the standard required by Rome. 
He was a parasite to the culture of the day. And this man named Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Verse 3, Luke 19. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And the people began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. I don't know the reason that you and I come to God's house on Sunday. Uh, I don't I don't know. I don't know if there's a, in some of us there's a, a joy that we receive by being with other believers. For some, unfortunately, in our culture, it's a matter of guilt that they think this is what they must do on Sunday. Whatever the reason, this is an example of you and me putting ourselves in proximity for God to use his voice to call you and me by name. Deliberately putting yourself in proximity in a place where, where we believe, as believers, the Spirit of God dwells. He dwells in here, but He dwells here, corporately. And that's not unlike what Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus, by the way, is called a sinner. That really is you and me. With all due respect to the quality of the life you've led and the work you've done and the many ministries you've had over the course of your years, you and I fundamentally are sinners who are saved by grace. And Zacchaeus, for his part, wanted to understand a little bit more about Jesus. Wanted to at least have an optic, a vision of Jesus, who Jesus is. And he couldn't. The crowd was too big. And so he climbed a tree and he saw the master's face. And the master called him by name. I have to think that by you and I being here and being in this place, the master will call you and me by name. Uh, I'd suggest that um, uh, sometimes God will call your name and my name when he wants us to do something special. Something that you've been gifted for, something that you may not know that you have the gift to do. But nonetheless, something special. I'd be remiss if I didn't go back to Luke chapter 1. Uh, that's the same book in the Bible that you're in right now, but just a few pages back. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And we'll read the story of an encounter with Mary. You're going to say, well, Mitch, didn't the angel speak? And I, I have to think that the angel was an emissary of God. And so I'm, I'm doing a little crosswalk here, a little liberty here to think that God sent the angel to speak to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is Mary's first cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. The virgin's name? Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And as any of us would be, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this is. 
Gabriel is standing in front of you. <laughs> He's speaking to you. Wouldn't you be troubled? Would you be concerned? This is a woman who probably knew Old Testament text. She probably knew when angels arrived, it was not always for good. And she's troubled. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid. You found favor with God, Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary? Uh, asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even your, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. There are those times when we are prepared for a task that we don't anticipate. And Mary, I have to confess and have to believe, she did not see this coming. And yet, to find favor with God. Think about that phrase. She found favor with God. And you and I immediately go to, well, that would be special. That would be the quality of the life that she had lived to that point. That would be whatever action she taken to find favor with God. And in that culture and in that day before the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, that's exactly what it meant. It required a certain lifestyle, a certain way of living, certain sacrifices, certain occasions, certain abiding by the law. But for you and I, the difference in this day is that we're post-resurrection. And finding favor isn't about what you or I do. It's about what he did for you and for me. And on that cross, his blood was shed so that you and I find favor. Not unlike the favor of Mary. Now, we're not going to all have immaculate conception. I understand that. And some will not bear children in their old age as did Elizabeth. But your life and my life and our influence in the lives of others is no less powerful than that of Mary because she was saved by the same blood of Christ. Sometimes God will call you and me by name because he wants us to do something special, something that he's equipped us for that we may not see coming, but at the end of the day, Mary was prepared. Mary was enabled. Mary did do and did live the calling by her name. Um, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes God will call your name and, uh, as with my mother, God will call your name and my name and ask that we stop something, that we end something, that we cease something. And the one I would choose for this is in Acts chapter 9. So move from Luke, John, Acts, just a few pages down the road. Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 1. 
when God called a name to stop something. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Meanwhile, and as I say to our Sunday school class, when you have transition words and phrases in God's word, you have to go back. So what was meanwhile? Meanwhile, in this case, was there were things taking place. There was persecution of the early church now occurring routinely and regularly, and Saul was leading that. As that was occurring, meanwhile, as all of that was occurring, Saul continued breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, who were Christ followers, who had accepted the teaching of the apostles regarding Jesus, whether man or woman, he would take them prisoner back to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And the voice Saul had never heard before. How do we know? Who are you, teacher? Who are you, master? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go in the city and you'll be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, I suppose so. And they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a man named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision and called his name Ananias. A name and a voice he had heard before. He said, yes, Lord. Paul had not heard the voice of Jesus call his name. Ananias had heard the voice of the Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And Ananias uh, said, to him, well, Lord, with all due respect, <laughs> I appreciate your call. I appreciate you using my name. I appreciate you coming to me. We've had this conversation ongoing. I, I know who you are. You know who I am. Uh, but this job I'd rather not have. I've heard many reports about this man, Saul, and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest anyone who calls you by name. But the Lord said, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. So sometimes, sometimes, God is going to ask us to stop doing something. And very clearly in this story, he's asking two people to stop something. Saul is really easy to diagnose. He's asking Saul, Saul, I don't want you to continue down the course that you're on. I died for you, Saul. I shed blood for you, Saul. Your life is going to change. But he's also asking Ananias to stop something. He's asking Ananias to stop being afraid. 
If you go back and read the Exodus passage after the burning bush with Moses, Moses is afraid. Moses is standing before God saying, I, I, I stutter, I this, I that. He's thinking of everything in the book not to do what God is asking to do. And we do that. And we have other stories of that. Think of, think of Jonah, a man who was called to a particular work, a particular place, and went the exact opposite. Ended up in a difficult situation and yet did what God asked him to do in the end. God is asking two people to stop something. One to stop persecution and accept Christ as Savior, and the other who has accepted Christ as Savior to don't be afraid. And both are uncomfortable. When God asks you and me to stop being afraid, that's hard to do. We could be afraid of the illness. We could be afraid of our age. We could be afraid of our income. We could be afraid of whatever we're afraid of. And ask God asking you and me to stop that, that's hard to do. But I have to believe that when God called the name Ananias, it was somehow made easier. And he did what God asked him to do. Um, sometimes we're afraid. And sometimes we need others' help. I'd ask you to go back to the Old Testament. That's the first part of the Bible that you now have in your hand. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel. We're at 1st Samuel. So about six books in. We're at 1st Samuel chapter 3. Sometimes God calls us to start something, stop something. Sometimes the circumstances draw us closer to Him. Sometimes we take the initiative to be closer to Him. But sometimes you and I, we need somebody's help to understand the voice of God when He calls our name. A story some of us have known for a long time. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Now that seems like a Phrase. It seems like a young boy in a, in a church setting, ministering with a, a prophet of God. But the backstory is so very important where, where Samuel's mother, Hannah, prayed for years for a child. Years and years and years. And promised God, if I'm granted the privilege of having a child, I will return that child to the temple. And he will serve you all the days of his life. And sure enough. God honored her request, and she honored her promise. And that's how Samuel is sitting where he's sitting, ministering with Eli, a prophet of the Lord. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There weren't many visions. The people had turned away. Some of the prophets had and would turn away. I don't know about you, but there aren't many visions today in our country. They're, the word of the Lord is rare. And yet in those circumstances, God still speaks. Verse 2, one night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, was lying in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out meaning it was dim, it was flickering, but hadn't yet been extinguished. And Samuel was lying in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. 
Then the Lord said to Samuel, verse 4, and Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli, and he said, Here I am. You called me. I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he did. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call you. Please go back and lie down. I'll pause here for a bit of a parenthesis for those of us who are grandparents. They're darling. They're cute. But wake me up from my sleep more than once? No, no. No, you're not cute anymore. Love my four grandchildren, don't I, honey? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Wake me up from my slumber when I'm snoring? No, 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 not so much. And we have this precocious child who's responding to a voice he's not heard before. He hadn't heard the Lord's voice. He'd heard a prophet's voice. They sounded alike, but he hadn't heard the Lord's voice. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, verse 7. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy. So he told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, speak. Say, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there and said, Samuel, Samuel. The reality is that God calls us by name. We have evidence in Scripture from Moses that he will call those of us who are a little older. We have evidence from Scripture that he'll call some of us who are a little younger. We have evidence from Scripture that he'll call us as a man. We have evidence from Scripture that he'll call us as a woman. We have evidence that he'll call people who have our great faith. And he'll call people who have no faith or marginal faith. God will call and God will use your name when he calls. And you'll say, well, Mitch, I've never had the angel Gabriel. I've never had God come and stand in front of me. And Mitch, I've never heard audibly the voice of God. And I'd say I can't tell you that I have either. But the lessons that we've learned, especially in the book of Acts, in our Bible study, for those of you who are able to be here for Bible study Sunday mornings, 9.15 for one class, 9.30 for the other, just a commercial. That was supposed to be humorous. That in the book of Acts, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's speaking to us all the time. And not just that, but that revered book you now hold in your hand, he speaks through that too. And he calls your name. How do I know that? Because on the cross of Calvary and in the prayer of the saints in John 17, he prayed for all that would follow. And he gave his blood for all that would follow. And I'm an all. And you're an all. And finally, I'd say to you that um, um, this is about a response. So sometimes 
God puts us in circumstances that draw us close to Him, and sometimes we initiate the circumstance that draws us closer to Him, and sometimes God will call you and call me and my name and ask us to do something that we didn't see coming, but that He's prepared us for. And sometimes He'll ask you to stop doing something. It might be being afraid. It might be being timid about your witness or your ministry. It might be because you're persecuting somebody or bullying somebody. Whatever the situation, God may be asking us to stop something. And God may provide somebody to help you along the way, as Samuel and Eli, the encounter shows that somebody had to help us understand it was the voice of God calling. And so that's why you and I are here on Sunday morning, because we have a remarkable teacher on Sunday morning who will share God's word from this pulpit and help us understand the implications of God's calling you by name and me by name in every text that he works with us through. But all of this requires our response. And so let me pick up with the responses uh, and simply say that when the Lord stood in front of Samuel, Samuel responded, Yes, Lord, your servant is listening. For Ananias and for Paul, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. That's the place where Paul was staying. And he placed his hands on Saul, a murderer. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something from scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. And he got up and he was baptized. And after he had taken some food, he was strengthened. If I go back to Mary. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word in me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. Go back to Zacchaeus. All the people saw this. They began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look. Here and now I give half of my possession to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He's a Jew by background. For the Son of Man came to save and seek those who were lost. And Moses, when God called him and he was over by the bush and he, he said, Moses, Moses, Moses said, here I am. And God said, and don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. In all of these circumstances, God called by name. It's not any different than the way he speaks to you and he speaks to me. My mother would always tell me about a still, small voice. I think you have a still, small voice living in you, and it's the Holy Spirit. In all cases, a response is required to the call. And when God calls our name, we have a choice. I read you the responses. I alluded to the response of Jonah. 
but in all cases a response is needed. And sometimes that response is no. And sometimes we want to tell God, wait. Or sometimes we want to tell God, we, we can't right now, but we can later on. Please come back, God. It's just a bit inconvenient right now. I distinctly remember a time before we moved to Dunwoody that uh, I was uh, were doing some building in a subdivision. Uh, my uncle was a builder and we lived in houses that he built and um, there was always construction going on. And I was uh, down the street um, uh, uh, with, uh, with some friends in the subdivision and we were playing in the dirt as we were given to do. This would have been, I don't know, 66, 65, I was 10, 11 years old. And I knew better. I knew I was out of shout range of my mother. <laughs> and I knew it was dinner time. And apparently mother did come out of the house and, you know, we didn't have cell phones then. We couldn't text one another. We didn't have all of that. And we didn't have a big bell. I think if she had a big dinner bell, it would have been so much easier on my life and on my backside. Uh, but it wasn't on this particular occasion. And she was hollering for me. And apparently using my full name at that high pitch volume that I had come to appreciate. But I couldn't hear her. Uh, one of the neighbor boy across the street, his name was George, came down to where we were and he said, your mother is calling you for dinner. I don't know that I said anything in response, but my action said, I really don't care. I'm not going to go home right now. I'll go when I'm conveniently ready to do so. Uh, a little while later, he came back. He said, your father is now calling for you. My dad was a fireman for 31 years, and a belt was his best uh, plan of discipline for us, um, uh, which was better than the switch my grandmother made us go out and pull off the vine and, uh, and use on us sometimes. But dad's preferred model was the belt. And I had a sneaking suspicion that he was none too pleased I had not responded to mother, even though somebody had come to help me understand and to hear her voice. When I couldn't hear it, somebody came. And then somebody came a second time. I meandered home. I have to think that that was probably the worst spanking I got in my entire life. Uh, Dad was angry, rightly so. Mom was hurt, rightly so. I missed supper, which I don't like to miss meals even then. How many times? We're going to call us by name, young or old, rich or poor, man or woman, faithful or no. How many times will he call before he stops? Lord, we thank you for this day and this place and for your word and for the many examples of people who heard your voice, who heard your call, who heard when you called them by name. The reactions will vary by person in this room, but you are calling us right now. The word that we are holding in our hands, that's your call. The scripture that we've read together in that word is your call. So whatever the call is on the lives of those here today, Lord, my prayer would be 
my request would be that we'd have the courage of Ananias, the humility of Mary, the transparency of Saul, the childlike faith of Samuel to listen and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, Lord, as we come to moments of decision like this, this isn't now about um, anything other than you. And so I, I turn all of this back now to you. That the decisions of your people in this place would be very personal. That the kingdom of God would be advanced because of those decisions. And that we would be very quick to give you praise. In Jesus' name. Bill uh, will lead us in a, um, a time of, um, of singing. And the doors of this church are always open um, for decision and faith, for people who want to understand more. And something that we don't often do in this church, um, and, and, and maybe someday we will, is these, these, these steps here, they're, they're not just steps. It's a place where you can come and publicly pray if you choose to. You certainly can pray right where you are. You can kneel and pray right where you are, but sometimes just making a public declaration, not speaking to anybody necessarily, but just a public declaration, is okay to do. It just says, I heard your voice, God, and, and, I, and I'm responding this way. Lead me more. So uh, Bill will lead us, and, um, and you come and you do what God would have you to do.